But it all started with the decision that I am the driver of my bus, and I gotta stop blaming and start living. Hi everyone, Drew Prode here, host of the Broken Brain Podcast. On today's episode, we have John Gordon, author and speaker extraordinaire, and he's here to talk to us about the two roads, two roads we can take in our life, one either towards negativity or one towards positivity, and how we can step into positivity to radically change our life. It's a fantastic podcast. You're going to love it. Stay tuned. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to talk about organic groceries arriving to your doorstep with Thrive Market. So if you listen to this podcast, you know that I'm incredibly intentional when it comes to what I eat. It's super important for me to know exactly what I'm buying. So I always take a deep dive into the ingredients and the company practices before adding anything, anything new to my kitchen. That's why I use Thrive Market. With Thrive Market, I've been able to find tons of the brands I trust in one spot with a massive discount, like Four Sigmatic, Hugh Kitchen, which I'm an investor in, uh, Artisana, and many, many others. And the discount is often 25 to 50% off traditional retail prices. That's crazy. 25 to 50% off. You just choose from a one-month or 12-month membership to take advantage of their amazing deals. And if you're not into it, you have 30 days to cancel. Thrive Market has thousands of products, including gluten-free, dairy-free, certified organic, paleo, fair trade, all of the above. They got it. Basically, you can find anything for any type of diet that's out there. You can get all the healthy ingredients and kitchen essentials you need and even clean home and body care. Super important right now. They also have grass-fed beef and sustainable seafood options, so it's super easy to plan ahead for healthy meals and get it delivered to your house. And right now, through the Thrive Market COVID-19 Relief Fund, here's another reason why I love Thrive Market, they'll be providing grocery stipends to families facing health or financial hardships due to COVID-19. You gotta love a company that's giving back in the right way. Their members and partners have raised collectively more than $400,000 to date. That's incredible. So if you join Thrive Market today, you'll get a $20 shopping credit when you place your first order. Any order over $49 ships for free, by the way. And since sustainability is a huge part of their mission, it will be delivered with carbon neutral shipping from one of their zero waste warehouses. I mean, why are we not doing business with Thrive Market right now? If you want to do business with them, Thrive Market makes it so much easier I know you'll love them as much as I do. Just go to thrivemarket.com slash broken brain. That's thrivemarket.com slash broken brain to get this exclusive offer. You can sign up and start filling your cart up today. You'll see the credit automatically deducted at the checkout. Now let's get back into this week's episode. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast, where we dive deep into the topics of neuroplasticity, epigenetics, functional medicine, mindset, and more, all with the goal of helping you understand that your brain is not broken. I'm your host, Drew Prode, and each week my team and I bring on a new guest who we think can improve your brain health, feel better, and live more. This week's guest is John Gordon. John Gordon is a husband, father, and author. His best-selling books and talks have inspired readers and audiences around the world. His principles have been put to the test by numerous Fortune 500 companies, professional and college sports teams, school districts, hospitals, nonprofits, and 
any organization <laughs> that's trying to lead the way. He's the author of 16, you heard that right, 16 books, including seven bestsellers. We're gonna be talking about one of those books on this podcast today, Energy Bus. John and his tips have been featured on today's show, CNN, CNBC, Fox and Friends, you name it, he's been there. His clients include and range from sports teams like the Los Angeles Dodgers and Miami Heat to corporations like Dell and BB&T Bank and institutions like Clemson and West Point Academy. When he's not running through airports and probably signing copies of his book, because a lot of them are sold in airports, or speaking to businesses, hospitals, and schools, you can spot, find him spending time with his family and taking long walks here in Santa Monica, which are where he gets most of his ideas. John, welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. Drew, thanks for having me. And you have your own podcast too. I do, Positive University. Exciting. We'll make sure to link to it in the show notes that are there. You know, 16 books that are out there, multiple bestsellers, why do people come to you and pick up your books? What are they really looking for that they don't have? I'm sharing a message of, of positivity. And I think that it's real because I struggled with negativity a lot of my life. So I wanted to be a more positive person. So as I began this journey of being a more positive person, I started to write, started to speak, started to share this message. And I write fables. So a lot of my books are, are fables. So they're, they're easy to read. They're stories. And we learn best through a story, we remember a story. And then there's lessons we're almost in like the story. hardwired for stories. We are, the research shows we're, we're hardwired for stories and that's what we remember. Give a talk to an audience and what do they remember? The stories that you tell. They don't remember the facts, they don't remember the data, they remember the stories. And by the way, when you're giving a talk, the best way to give a talk, principle, story, application. Share mm -hmm. a principle, tell a story, and then teach and share the application. So. For me, I started writing in fables. I didn't know I could write a fable, but I wrote The Energy Bus, my, my first book, and people started reading this fable. And I realized, okay, it's resonating, and I began doing that as my style. So every year I would write a, a new book. Now, I, I wrote The Power of Positive Leadership, The Power of a Positive Team. Those are two books that I learned along the way speaking to so many organizations on The Energy Bus. So I learned what makes great leaders great. I learned what makes great teams great. So those books are not fables. Those are everything I learned and the principles of great leadership and the principles of building a great team. Those books came afterwards. But but for the most part, fables and and people say they're easy to read, they're quick, and so I think that's why they get passed around. They make a nice gift. You can give it to somebody, especially, you know, I think you reach an audience that's not necessarily leaning, like they're not already in the personal development world. They want to be better, but some part of their life feels off. So they need something that's accessible that they can get into. And a story is a great way. And so speaking of story, I want to start off with your story. In preparation mm -hmm. of our talk, I listened to a few other podcasts of yours, read some of your books. I haven't read The Coffee Bean, which is the newest book. We'll talk about that. And uh, I saw you in one of your talks share that uh, life wasn't Bast in positivity for you growing up. So tell us a little bit about your life growing up. Right, no it wasn't. I grew up in Long Island, New York, a Jewish Italian family, a lot of food, a lot of guilt, a lot of wine, a lot of whining. And my mom, she was a Jewish mom and she wanted the son the doctor, the son the lawyer. My brother goes to Johns Hopkins pre-med. I go to Cornell University pre-law. So she's bragging to all our friends. Oh, my son the doctor, my son the lawyer. My brother came out an actor, I came out a bartender. She was, she, <laughs> she was devastated. My dad was a New York City police officer, undercover narcotic. So he was shot a few times. He wasn't very positive. In his mind, the world was out to get you. 
and you had to fight this world. You had to take it on. And so he had a very negative slant on the world. He was one of the most negative guys on the planet. A very loving dad, though. I want to give him credit. Very loving, but just very, very negative. You'd get up in the morning, you'd say, hey, good morning, dad. He'd say, what's so good about it? You know, my dad was Al Bundy before Al Bundy was Al Bundy. I always joke, a lot of people don't even know Al Bundy is anymore. They're, they're, they're too young. <laughs> I know who he is. Right. <laughs> Hopefully you're old enough for that. And so growing up in that family, you know, I, I learned that, you know, I want to be more positive because there was not a lot of positivity. Did you actually have a conscious thought that I want to, like, how did you even know about positivity? I didn't know then. It was almost later on I started to realize I wanted to be more positive. Like, I, I, was, I was seeking it. I was naturally in many ways, like an eternal optimist, but I had this very negative pessimistic slant. So I call myself a pessimistic optimist mm -hmm. because at first I'm negative, but then I have this eternal hope that things could change. And so I always had this eternal hope, but in my 20s, I got married, two small children, the pressure, the stress of life, and my wife threatened to leave me by the time I was around 30 because I was so negative, so miserable, I was always making her miserable. I was blaming her for why my life was not the way I wanted to be. I was a professional complainer and blamer. And I just really did not like my life. I was not living my purpose and I was really negative. And when she gave me that ultimatum, we just wrote a book called Relationship Grit. Comes out in May. I'm excited for people to read this because we share our whole true story about our ups and downs and how she almost left and how I started turning around. And I said, you know, why am I so miserable? Why am I so negative? And I realized I wasn't living my purpose. I wasn't being positive and I wanted more of that. So that began this journey of, of being a more positive person and doing this work and sharing this message. And I always say it's ironic that this is my life's calling, that, that this is what I'm here to do because of my background. But I guess someone who grew up that way, who had a dad that way, who knows how to overcome negativity, is someone now who could teach that to others. And that's why it's very real. Like people always say to me in my talks, I mean, even these big corporate talks I do, they come up to me like, man, I'm that guy. I'm negative. I want to be more positive. And you know what? I usually turn speakers like you off, but I, I listen to you because you, you were so real about it. And I think that's important. I want to come back to your dad because I think there's a lot of people that can relate. Before we jump into your material, they can relate, whether it's their dad, their brother, their wife, their husband, a friend, somebody in their life that they're close to could be a boss. Mm. Why do you think your dad was the way that he was? He was doing the best that he could, but what are some of the factors that led to that? No doubt. I mean, he was a New York City cop. He was an undercover narcotics guy. So he saw the worst of the worst every day. He's often in fight or flight. Fight or flight. He is fighting and fighting every day, fighting for his life. I mean, he was shot a few times, won the Medal of Honor. And so you see the worst of humanity and you start to think that everybody is bad. You start to think the world is bad. How you see the world determines the world that you see. He had a narrow perspective of the world, right? He needed to broaden his perspective. But when he's in that narrow viewpoint of, of survival every day. And so we know that our, our brain is wired, right? The reptilian part of our brain. And he was activating his rip, reptile probably every single day. I always talk about we have this positive dog part of our brain and the research shows we can override the reptile with the positive dog. We have a quarter second to do that. But anytime you're busy and stressed, you're activating the reptile. And the reptile often eats your positive dog. And so every day he was pretty much having his reptile eat his positive dog. And I think that's why he was so negative. And again, he didn't want to be. And even later on in life, as he got older, he would be around me and I started to 
really do a lot of this work and he started to come to some of my talks and read some of my books and he said, I learned not to be negative around you. <laughs> he was negative around the other children, but, but not me. And I think you mentioned something interesting there. You said he didn't want to be. It's just no. the circumstances. And there are other people, you know, listeners might be thinking about, again, their boss, husband, wife, friend, kid, family member, whatever. And even if that person isn't a cop or isn't actually fighting for their life, their body, what through whatever circumstances, maybe it was inherited through their own parents or their background or their genetics. Maybe it was their rough life growing up. Maybe it was just never having a positive mentor or somebody in their life that could show them a different direction. They became hardwired a particular way. So even though they're not actually fighting for their life, their body still sometimes, if it's in fight or flight, still thinks it's fighting for their life. So it's almost like, do you see negativity as like a protection mechanism sometimes for people? In some ways it is. In some ways it's protection. In some ways it's you're scanning for the bad, for survival. And so whenever you're in survival mode, you're thinking about how can I get through the day? I talked about the other day. I was, I was going to the bank. I had my deposit slip. I had to get in and out. And as I pulled up, because we don't have a drive through I noticed this elderly woman was walking towards the door and this older guy was walking towards the door and they're, they're ahead of me. And my first thought was I could beat them. I mean, I could beat them. My brain was in survival mode, like beat them. I hopped out of my car and I raced toward the door. But as I got to the door, I'm like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And so I held the door open for him as they went by and my positive dog chased the reptile away. Now again, in that moment, it was a competition. In that moment, I was busy and stressed. I wasn't thinking about loving people, connecting, communicating, all the things I talk about to build great teams. I wasn't thinking about loving, serving, and caring like I talk about in my book, The Carpenter. No, I was focused on making sure that I was surviving and I was getting on with my day. And I think that's how a lot of times we go through life. We are in flight fight, we are in survival mode. And when you're in that kind of mode, you're not a great leader. You're not a great relationship builder. You're not the best version of yourself when you're in that mode. And that's where, again, the negativity comes in for for surviving. But I also think there's a kind of negativity that we deal with that has to do with identity based negativity, where we are attacked at our self-worth, where we have these negative thoughts come in all the time. We have fear come in all the time. And I always say to people, do your negative thoughts come from you? And they go, yeah. I go, really? Who would ever choose to have a negative thought? Mm. Your negative thoughts are not coming from you. They come from consciousness. No one has ever found a thought inside the brain. And so what happens is, and this is a, you know, we could, people could debate this, but what happens is, I'm, I'm convinced of this, Consciousness is the software. Brain is the hardware. It's where activation happens. And so the internet cloud, the software, we're always downloading thoughts. Dreams come in through the internet cloud. So we're downloading these thoughts. And when you have negative thoughts, you don't have to believe them. Just because you have a negative thought doesn't mean you have to believe it. The thoughts that say you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not going to be successful, that this is who I am and I am my performance. And if I don't do well, then I'm not loved and I'm not recognized and I'm not of worth. And I think those are two different thoughts. There's survival thoughts and there's identity thoughts. And no one from an evolutionary standpoint could really pinpoint where these identity thoughts come from. We know fear-based thoughts come from, survival-based thoughts. That is for our survival. Identity thoughts is a different paradigm in my, in my, in my viewpoint. Again, yeah. this could be something that could be a whole, whole other conversation. No, no, but for I, sure. But I think we have two sets of, of, of thoughts that we're dealing with. And I think that part of that message today is that don't believe everything you think. Boom. And the questioning, when you go back to your uh, describing 
the amygdala, the lizard brain, and you're talking about the dog brain, which I'm guessing is probably the prefrontal cortex yes. or executive prefrontal function. prefrontal cortex, right. The loving part of the unconditional love. We activate it when we pray, when we meditate, when we practice gratitude, we're activating the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. The positive dog. Unconditional loving nature of dogs is why I call it the positive dog part of the brain. And when we engage that part of the brain, because everybody loves a dog and lizards are sometimes creepy, <laughs> although they're pretty cool too. Um, when we engage the dog, we're really tapping into awareness and mm. saying, am I choosing to think this? Am I choosing to believe this in this moment? In fact, the way that you often talk about it, and I want to come back to your story in a minute, yep. is that you say we always have two roads that are available to us. Talk to us about those two roads. Yeah, two roads, the positive road or the negative road. We can listen to those negative thoughts and believe those lies and believe the fears, or we can speak truth to those negative thoughts. We can speak words of encouragement. The best advice I ever heard is from Dr. James Gills, the only person on the planet to complete six double Ironman triathlons. Double Ironman, which means you do, not, you do an Ironman, and then a day later you do another one. Wow. Last time he did it, he was 59 years old. So he was asked how he did it. He said this, I've learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. He said, if I listen to myself, I hear all the negative, all the fear, all the doubt. If I talk to myself, I can feed myself with the words and the encouragement that I need to keep on moving forward. So in those moments, we have those two roads. When the thoughts are coming in, do we want to go down the negative road? Do we want to believe those negative thoughts? Do we want to allow those fears and lies and doubts to rule our life? Or do we want to question them, as you said, and say, is this true? Do I really believe this? Do I really want to live with that thought as the dominant thought in my life? Or do I want to choose this thought, this belief? That's what happened to me. I changed my thoughts, changed my life, ch shift my perspective from, from negative to positive, made it a daily habit every day, molded my brain, which the research shows, the more we activate, the prefrontal cortex, the more we feed ourselves with positivity on a daily basis, the more we weed the negative. Over time, we literally can rewire and mold our brain. Now, am I gonna be as positive as maybe you who are, you know, you're more naturally positive probably than I am, or my wife who is naturally positive? Will I be as positive as, as she is? Probably not, but I could be the best version of myself by, by making myself the most positive I can be over time. And I've learned over the past now 15 years of doing this, it works. I mean, I know it works. And then when I share these in my talks, people always report. I get a lot of feedback. Over the last you know, 15 years, you hear from a lot of people, right? And a lot of people who were like my dad. Man, I was a coach and I was really negative. I was a dad, you know, I'm a dad and I'm just really negative. Or a woman will reach out, yeah, I was always so negative, but, but, I, but I did this and I turned it around and you changed my life. Like in the next five years, I'm a, I'm a different person. So you hear all these stories and you know we can change. So we can choose the negative road where we can choose to feed ourselves each day and then choose the positive road. So what are you fueling up with? As you go down the positive road, you wanna fuel up with the positive thoughts, the words of encouragement, the beliefs, the optimism, the hope, the love, or the pessimism, the negativity, the fear, the doubts of the negative road. And you really have that choice every day. So I wanna go back to your story. You were talking about how you weren't being the best husband to your wife. You got married young, mm. right? Yeah. Well, young for, I guess, today, right? right? You got married young. Uh, I also read in your story and saw a few videos that you were almost on the verge of bankruptcy. Yes. Right. There was a lot of um, conflict that was going on internally, externally at that time. Now, somebody would say you didn't you weren't choosing that. Right. You were in it, but you weren't choosing it. So what was the pivot point for you? What is I'm always curious with when do things change for people 
and what are the circumstances that lead to lead to us pivoting? So let's go to your story. Yeah. What actually had you pivot? So I wasn't choosing it, and that's the thing. I wasn't even conscious that I could choose something else. So the minute you're conscious that you can make a different decision, you can make a choice, that's when things start to shift, that perspective. And for me, it was my wife's ultimatum, like change or we're over. Wow. So that will wake you up. So I said, okay, I've got to be more positive. So this was during the emergent field of positive psychology. So I started to research some positive psychology kind of uh, tips and research. And I came up with this idea of doing a thank you walk where every day I would take a walk of gratitude because I read you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. And stress was beating me down. Fear was causing me to crumble. And so I started to take this walk every day of just gratitude. And it was a 10 minute walk that turned into a 20 minute walk that turned into a 40 minute walk that eventually became about an hour walk every day of gratitude and walking and walking meditation then turned into prayer and feeding myself on a daily basis over time doing that that began to shift my awareness began to shift my consciousness and probably in many ways my brain because when you're doing that the research shows you're creating a you know you're you're creating a fertile mind that's ready for great things to happen it shows that when you're doing that you're feeding your 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 brain and your body with these positive emotions that'll lift you rather than the stress hormones that slowly drain and kill you. So every day you're feeding yourself with these great feelings, great emotions, and you're rewiring your, your, your brain and also making your body just feel different. And because awareness is like a flashlight, whatever you're going to shine it on, that's what we're going to get a chance to see. So in these walks, you are choosing what you're going to focus on. Yeah. And, and then as I started to write and speak, I said, I accept all the people who will receive this message. I accept all the people that want to work with me and will benefit from my gifts and talents. I accept all the companies and organizations that are here to benefit from what I'm here to share. And I would just literally say that every day and go out there as, so it was like a, a gratitude. And then I would always end with receiving, accepting, and just being open to these possibilities. So I wasn't thinking about all the negative. I was thinking about all the positive possibilities. And I would say that was pretty much the number one thing that I did besides just trying to be a, a good person and trying to be better to my wife and more helpful and more loving. And, um, but I would say the gratitude walks and the prayer. Prayer really changed me. You know, we don't pray, pray because, you know, God needs to hear our prayers. <laughs> we, we pray because we need help on this journey. It's an opportunity for reflection. We'll come back to that yeah. as one of the principles. I want to acknowledge and come back to your wife for a second because telling somebody who you love just like very point blank and telling them like you're setting a boundary and saying you got to do something or this is it, right? That's a very scary mm. thing to do. Yeah. Do you have any tips for anybody who's listening now who is in that moment in their life, whether it's with a loved one or uh, a boss, employee, or anything that's out there, there's somebody in your life that it's not been working for a while and they need to hear and you need to set a boundary. Yeah. Any tips on doing that? You know, first off, my wife deserves all the credit in the world. I mean, she was so strong. And I'm so thankful that she did that because if she would have continued taking my negativity, we would have lived a miserable life. And so she was willing to take a chance, willing to make a stand. And so for people, I want to say, you have to create boundaries. First off, create boundaries on, on how you allow yourself to be treated. You also have to teach people how to treat you. A lot of times people don't know how to treat you or they may just default to their own 
negativity or the way that they were treated or the way they saw their parents treat their children or the way they saw them treat each other. Or if you're a boss, you're going to lead the way your boss led you and it might have been negative. So you don't have a positive role model. So I think you have to be willing to set boundaries and, and treat people the way you want to be treated, but also teach them how to treat you. I think that's essential. You have a new book, you know, kind of like a little preview of you have a relationships book. You mentioned that for couples, let's say specifically, if you find a partner, do you have any general advice? Should they do it in the context of a therapist? You know, what's the best way to actually sit down and just tell somebody and hold their hands? Like this isn't working, yep. right? I love you, but like, like how do we even do that? The goal is not to get to that point in the first place. The okay. goal with relationship grit, which we just wrote again, and it's, it's, it's our story, but then it's lessons to help you stay together, grow together, and thrive together. So we really want people to have a great relationship. This is not about sticking out and be miserable. <laughs> this is about, hey, let's work together and figure out a way to, to really make this a great relationship. So first off, you have to communicate. Like so many teams, I work with a lot of sports teams, they break down because of poor communication. Same thing happens in relationships. They break down because of poor communication. So first off, you have to make sure you're communicating. Talk about your expectations. This is what I expect of you. This is what you can expect from me. And have those conversations on, a, on what you expect of each other. Appreciate your differences. So often we get into a relationship and what we loved about the person initially, <laughs> as the marriage goes along and the relationship goes along, you wind up hating those things. Totally. Like my wife was spontaneous. She was ADD and she was like, oh, let's do this, oh, let's do that. And I love that about her. Then we have kids and then we need structure and the kids need homework being done. And my wife's not the one to do homework with the kids. <laughs> like if you want a spontaneous dance party in the kitchen at 11 o'clock at night, that would be my wife and kids. She's not getting them to bed at the same time every night. And we talk about that in the book. So that like sort of drove me a little nuts in the early days. And over time I had to learn to appreciate that this is who she was. This is who I married. I knew who I married. Don't try to change her to be like I want her to be, to be someone I want her to be. She has to be who she is. So we have to have those conversations and those expectations of what you can expect from each other. This is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm not willing to do. This is what we can compromise on. And so the key really boils down to we have to communicate before it even gets to that point. But then there are challenges right along the way. Okay, this isn't working. If you can't communicate to each other and you have a challenge doing that, highly recommend counseling. Relationship therapy is, is essential if you can't do it yourselves. And my wife and I went to counseling before our marriage and that really did help us. But, but after that, we pretty much did a lot of it on our own, but we fought a lot. That's the key that we fought a lot. And we talk about our fighting, but because we had an open line of communication, those fights led to then discussions. Yeah. Where, where a lot of times couples don't fight at all. They get bitter and angry. And resent. Resentful. And then they wind up dividing mm. and then divorcing. And so you have to make sure we share five D's in the book that, you know, will divide and, and separate a relationship. And it's, it's, it's definitely doubt. Like, is this the person for me? Are we meant to be together? You have that doubt. Then you have distortion lies. The, the negative thoughts come in for both of you. And that starts to separate you. Then you have distractions and you do not want distractions. Yeah. We know what those are. And then we have discouragement. We get discouraged. We don't give up because it's hard. We give up because we get discouraged. Mm. And then we have division where now we are, 
are separating and we're going, going into our corners. And these five Ds will divide you and separate you. And they separate teams. They separate relationships. And you have to be aware of those, but you can counter them, which is the great thing. And it's like, you know, your wife came to you with this ultimatum, but in investing in and working on your relationship, you improved every aspect of your life. And one of the cornerstones that you talk about is a formula, right? E plus O, I'm sorry, E plus P equals O. Can you explain that formula and what it means? The events in your life, right? Plus our positive response determines the outcome. So we can't control the events, but we can control our perspective and our positive response to those events. And that ultimately will determine the outcome. So we had these events going on. And again, I wasn't controlling everything. These things were happening. I was unconscious. But, but in my awareness, when my wife gave me the ultimatum, I was willing to change. See, I think that's the thing. You have to be willing to change. A lot of times, people are not willing to change. So they never grow. They never get better. They get prideful. They think the other person's the problem. I was willing to change. And in that willingness to change, we created a different outcome. And I think that formula goes for everything in life. When an event happens, how do I respond to it? And how I respond will eventually determine the outcome. There will be failures. How do I respond to failure? There will be successes. When I start having success, how do I respond to success? Do I become a jerk? Do I become egotistical? Or do I stay humble and hungry and continue to serve the people that I'm here to serve? How we respond ultimately would determine the life that we create in the future. You know, you mentioned something, which is that you are willing to change. And I think there's a couple lessons inside of that. The first one, or the main one that I want to bring up right now is that, you know, you talk about this in the energy bus. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it's like, you can't change people who don't have that willingness that's there. And I'll even add another layer of it, another spiritual layer into the conversation. It's not your right to change them, Right. right? It's their right to do whatever they want to do. First of all, you can't. And second thing. Who would actually say that it's even your right to change a person? There's been people that have tried to change us and we didn't like that. I'm sure there's people that told you, you shouldn't be an author. You shouldn't be a speaker. You shouldn't do that. There are many. (laughs) Many. And you don't want them to change you because you feel you're headed down your righteous path that's out there. But the important lesson and the takeaway for me from that, and I think for our listeners, is that don't put your energy on people that may not have that willingness. Right. You can't drive anyone else's bus. Each person is driving their bus. And I tried to drive my wife's bus for years and it didn't work out. So I always say, don't do that. You can only drive your bus, but you can make your bus great. Don't focus on your greatness in the future. Just be great today. Make your bus great. And what happens is then you become a model for the other buses. You show other people what that looks like. The best way to influence is to live a great life yourself and be a model for others. But you can't change people who don't wanna be changed. You can love them, you can encourage them, you can uplift them, you can teach them, you can mentor them, you can share with them. And I think the greatest thing you can do is, hey, are you open to this advice? Is there something I can share with you? Would you be open to? You know, you get permission to speak into their life. And maybe they're not open to it. Maybe they don't wanna hear it. But you could try to help them. And if they're open, great. If they're not willing to change and you're trying to, best thing you do is, is lead by example and live that example. Walt Women said we convince by our presence. But if that doesn't work, say there's someone who is an energy vampire and they're sucking the life out of the room, out of the team, out of you anytime you're with that person. You have to protect yourself and maybe not waste your energy on that person if they're not willing to change, if they don't hear you and they're sabotaging you and others. 
And so Gandhi said, I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty feet. I love that quote. Yeah, I love that. We want to make sure that we don't allow anyone else to walk through our mind with their dirty feet, with their negativity. We want to be more positive than the negativity that we face. I remember telling my dad, I want to be a writer and speaker. Found my calling, dad. He's like, what the heck do you want to do that for? That's a load of junk. That wouldn't amount to anything. He said, just focus on your restaurant. I had this restaurant at the time. And so in his mind, be practical. We don't have dreams of being a writer and speaker in our family. We don't do that. You know, be practical. But a couple years later, I got on the Today Show, Get Energized Today, four-week series. I walk out of the studio. He calls me on the phone. Your mother, I just saw you on TV. You really made a difference. We're so proud of you. We always knew you could do it. <laughs> Didn't even remember being negative. And so I think about that Gandhi quote often because, you know, you can't allow someone's negative thoughts to impact you, your destiny, your life, and your dreams, and what you want to create. And for social media today, a lot of people have broken brains right now because of social media. They're not broken, broken, but they're temporary being affected. What we have to realize is, same Gandhi quote, just a little different. I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty tweet. I'm not going to let those negative thoughts and opinion of others to define me. You know, it goes back to the coffee bean. I mean, I, I really want to share, you know, the message yeah, of this. because right It's really, it's really... It really relates to everything that we're talking about because when you are put into a big pot of boiling hot water, you could be like the carrot that once put in that when it's put into that water, that carrot gets softened, it gets weakened by its environment or by others. When you put an egg into boiling hot water, what happens to the egg? It gets hardened by its environment. We can get bitter and angry. We can no longer care. We get hurt. I don't care about that. I don't care about that person. I don't care about this job. Which by the way, even your dad coming to you and saying, like, I don't want you to be an author and speaker. Like, why are you doing that? That's a load of crap. Probably there's a little bit of, like, I'm trying to protect your dreams so you don't get squashed and your heart doesn't get Totally. Broken. Totally. Because he had his dreams yeah. squashed. Totally. Sorry to interrupt. No, I love that. You could be like the carrot where you're weakened or the egg that's hardened. Or you could be like the coffee bean. Put that coffee bean into boiling hot water. What happens? It transforms the water into coffee. Even if it's not ground up within an hour. It will transform the water into coffee. The coffee bean, which is the smallest of all three, instead of being impacted by its environment, it affects and impacts its environment. It transforms its environment. And that's what we're called to do, be coffee beans. Wherever we go, we're going to impact the environment we're in by the way we lead, by the way we interact with others, by our own positive energy that we're sharing with others. We're not going to allow the negativity to affect us. We're not going to allow this economy to affect us if it goes down, you know, because everything that's going on. We're not going to allow outside circumstances to affect us. Because think about it. You see a, a child grow up in a really difficult neighborhood. Other children don't make it out, but that, that one child does. What's the difference? That child believes that they can influence the events of their life. They have a different kind of mindset. They have a perspective that they can change the world in some way or they can change their world. And they have this resilience that causes them to get out and, and make a greater impact. And it all goes down to consciousness. You know, one day you're in traffic and the traffic bothers you. The other day you're in traffic and it doesn't. Is it the traffic? No, because if it was the traffic, it'd have to be all the time that would affect you. It'd have to be 100% for it to be truth. It's never the traffic. It's never the circumstance. It's always our state of mind. And our perspective that and we bring to the situation. Right. So negative people have a different perspective. I'm not going to allow that negative person's perspective to affect me. Now, when I work with teams, I just want to share, share this. When I work with teams and organizations, you got a negative person. You have, a, you have a culture you're trying to change. The more you create a positive culture, those negative people will get off the bus themselves. The more you really build a strong, positive culture. If you're not in a position where you're working with someone who's negative, you gotta do your job every day to just be a positive influence and be kind and loving to that person. 
But over time, right, we don't want to allow that person to affect us. And if you're a leader of a company, you do have to make sure that negative people are not sabotaging your team and your organization. Because one, te- one person can't make a team, but one person can break a team. Mm. And so it's not that we don't care about that person. If you have to let that person go because they're sabotaging the team, then you do so because you care about everybody else. And by the way, even if you're not part of a sports team or running a company, your team could be your friend network. Friend network. That, that one person on your friend network is really sabotaging the network. Talk to that person. Try to help them change. Again, from a loving standpoint, don't be negative about negativity. Right, because when we're negative, and this is a little bit of sort of, you know, sometimes on online, especially I see on sometimes like Instagram, it's like, you know, fire all your friends that are like not there. Part of the empathy and us stepping into positivity is understanding that often those people are hurting. Boom. Now, it's not your responsibility to fix them, but can you check in on the hurt to see if we can bring them in a different direction? Because we've gone the other way. I see so many of those posts that say, fire negative friends or you know, eliminate every negative person out of your life. Well, if we did that, we would have no friends. Yeah. Everyone's going to have a bad day. And we would have no growth. And no growth. Because guess what? If that person is negative, who's going to help them? Who's going to impact their life? Who's going to be there for that person to show them another way? So if we ignore those people, if we just cast those people out, then we're not doing our job to, make a, 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 to have a transformation, to, to really impact people's lives. We're not living our purpose and our passion. So, so we need both. They need us as much. Now, I'm not saying that you should spend and waste all your time on that person. You give everything you have. If it doesn't work, they're not open to it. They don't want to change. All right, then you have to move on. You can't waste your time doing that. But at first, you should try. At first, you should be empathetic. At first, you should be loving. We had a, uh, in our training, we had a, a manager dealing with a very negative employee. So we have an exercise in our training. Love letter to an energy vampire, where you write an encouraging letter to the person who really drains your energy. An encouraging letter about their good attributes and what you see good in them. So you write that letter and you meet with them for 30 minutes. We had a manager do this with her negative employee. They met for two hours. Mm. Found out she was dealing with a lot of stuff. Yeah. And that's why she was negative. They had this great conversation. They became friends. It transformed the relationship, transformed the leader's style going forward. So I've seen too many positive changes. People read the energy bus a lot of times and they'll think, oh, it's about getting rid of energy vampires. So they say to their people, you're either on my bus or off my bus. That's just the way it is. It was never intended. <laughs> they probably skimmed the book. <laughs> they don't know the part where it says love your passengers. Yeah. Examine your own leadership first and make sure that you're doing everything right as a leader that engages that person, that involves them, that encourages them, that you're there for them. Because maybe they're negative because you're not being a great leader. Maybe they're negative because you haven't involved them in the mission and the vision and the purpose of where you want to go. Maybe they feel isolated. They become a cancer just like a cancer cell becomes a cancer cell because it is isolated from the body. It thinks it's alone. So the minute a person thinks it's alone, it doesn't feel that love and empathy, they start to act accordingly. The interesting thing about cancer cells is that cancer cells were once normal. And then because of the environment, they transformed. They were a healthy cell that transformed. And you know, some people in the functional medicine state, it's like cancer is less of a disease. It's a survival mechanism in that same way. Sometimes negativity can be a quote unquote survival mechanism. Anyways, we've been talking about the energy bus. Yep. But we haven't really set up the premise of it. Okay. So because stories is the way that people learn, tell us the story of the energy bus in terms of the setup. It's about a guy named George who's miserable and negative. His team at work is in disarray. He has problems at home. And he wakes up Monday morning to a flat tire. So he was really easy to write because he was based on me and my own personal struggles with negativity. So he has his flat tire. He has to get to work. He has an important meeting. So he walks inside, asks his wife to take him to work, and she won't. That was also based on personal experience. Mm -hmm. So then he has to take the bus to work. And he gets on the bus, and he meets Joy, the bus driver. 
and she calls him Sugar, and she is the wise woman, and she starts teaching him along with the cast of characters on the bus the 10 rules for the ride of his life that not only help him become a more positive person, but a better father, a better husband. And it's, and it's about getting his team on the bus and moving in the right direction with a shared vision, focus, and purpose. It's about the fact that every one of us will have to overcome negativity, adversity, and challenges to ultimately define ourselves and our team's success. That's about a guy who goes from negative to positive, learning how to fuel himself and fuel others on this journey. And the first rule, which you talked about earlier, is that you had to share that I kept on trying to drive my wife's bus. And that's one of the lessons that, uh, that the character George learns from joy, is you can't drive somebody else's bus. What yeah. does that mean? Well, you first have to drive your bus. You have to recognize that no one else could drive your bus and you can't drive anyone else's bus. You are here to drive your bus. It means this is my life. Like, this is my life. I need to own it. I need to take full responsibility for, for my life, where I'm going with my vision and what I'm here to create. I can't blame anyone else. I can't blame people for why my life is so bad. I have to own it and I have to take control. I have to grab the wheel and say, okay, where do I wanna go? What kind of life do I wanna create? And that energy that you bring to your life every day will determine the ride through life that you have. So you first have to own your life and take responsibility for your life. There's an author named Jerry Corona who's an advisor to CEOs in sort of the startup world. And uh, he says, it's like, how have I been complicit in the things in my life that I say I don't want? Mm -hmm. We think it's everybody else, but it's like how, even if sometimes somebody might be negative, even sometimes we might have conflict in our relationships, in our business, in some area of our life, but how have we played a role in that? And until we understand that, it's hard to break out. I talk about the law of responsibility. The problem is that if it's somebody else's fault, then you can't change it. You're stuck with it forever. But if you played a part in it, we can actually do something to turn it around. Yeah, I looked at my wife and my kids as the reason why I wasn't successful. And when I genuinely, genuinely, like, well, no, it, in my perspective, in my mm -hmm. blaming of where I was at the time, once I own that this is my life and I have to create my life, that I'm the driver of my bus, I sat down, I started writing every day in the morning before they got up. Because the excuse is the way that I'm understanding is this excuse before was, I don't have time or I have too many commitments on my plate. Right. I have to take care of my wife. Yeah. I have to take care of my kids. I have to work in this job to support them. How often do we hear that? I can't go after my dream mm -hmm. because I have to take care of my family and take care of my kids. Well, guess what? You want this dream? Get up an hour earlier. Start writing every day as I did. I wrote in the chaos. I never went on a writing retreat. I wrote through the chaos of raising two loud, you know, wild kids with my wife and somehow, some way, found a way to, to write every day in the chaos. But out of that came these books, right? So I believe that you have to own it and say it's no one else's fault. Like you said, take responsibility, get up and say, what can I do? So you, you find your time to work out. You find your time to take a walk. You find your time to work on a side project at your job. Whatever it may be, whatever you want to create, you start making the time and stop blaming everyone else for why your life is the way it is. On a practical note, like... It sounds all, negative, but I have to sometimes tell the truth, right? Yeah, it's the truth. And it's really the wake-up call that a lot of people near, yeah. need to hear. Um, on a practical level, how much would you write back then? You know, you have all these things that are going on. Sometimes people think they need the perfect situation, whatever it might be. Would you write like 30 minutes at a time? Yeah. Like, what, what would you do? Sometimes it'd be 30 minutes. Sometimes it would be an hour. I'd get up. I would write. Then I would eat a little something. Then I would go take a walk. Do the walk of gratitude. Mm -hmm. All these ideas would come to me. 
I would sometimes journal and write them down, notepad. Then I had a voice recorder, recorder, or then I would bring my phone with all of the um, social media and everything else turned off. So I made sure that that didn't distract me. And I would write down these ideas, come back and write some more. So I would write maybe the, at most three hours a day, at least 30 minutes a day. But as Stephen King said, writers write. So every day I would get up, and I know as a writer, but I just started writing every day. I made it a habit. And every book I've written has taken about three and a half weeks to write, the longest four weeks. I write usually in December when things are quieter in the world. Mm -hmm. Still had the kids. Even but, still today? To the, today, yep. yeah. Usually December. Although we wrote Relationship Grit over November, December, because my November was slow. Was thankfully slow. I needed to be slow. I was so crazy all year. So that's when we wrote that. And then I wrote another book called The Garden, which is a spiritual fable about ways to overcome fear, stress, and anxiety. And that comes out after this one. I wrote that literally between Christmas Day and January 8th and was able to write that. So just finding the time every day to do something. Again, but it all started with the decision that I am the driver of my bus and I got to stop blaming and start living. Let me ask you another question because I think anybody that has a project, especially a creative project, which means that it's something that you want to do that doesn't necessarily exist in the way, in the form that you can bring it into the world. It's something new. It's a new vision, a new idea. Um, did you give yourself a deadline? Because I think that sometimes when we just say we're going to write a book or just do something in our life, there's no deadline. There's no structure around it. It's a project that goes on for mm -hmm. years. I'm interested to see how did you handle that? Such a great question because I really never gave myself a deadline, although I had a deadline in my mind. So it wasn't like I said, I have to do this. It was more like, I know I'm going to get busy January 14th or 15th again. I, I, you just genuinely had until this is time. my time to do it. So let's go. I think the beauty of that is like, you just have to show up and, and maybe somebody doesn't have kids or isn't married or maybe they are, but there was some constraints you know, Jason Fried, who's the CEO of this company, Basecamp, and I love a lot of the writings that they put out there. He says, constraints build creativity. Mm. If we have all the time in the world and no constraints, it's just not going to happen. I like that. But for me, like the energy bus, my most creative book, I would say my first book, the book that was just magical, wrote in three and a half weeks, never wrote a book before like that. I didn't have a deadline because I was really slow during that time. Yeah. I wasn't doing a lot of speaking. My career was not taking off. No one knew who I was. So I had all this time. It was like everything slowed down. I got very quiet, very still. I still remember that time in my life. It was around Christmas time in January and just really dead. And yet these ideas were coming for the book. Every day I would take a walk and I would get more and more of the ideas for the book. Didn't have all the rules, but then it unfolded as I wrote it. So I didn't have a, I didn't have a, a constraint or a deadline, but I knew I just wanted to write this book. There was a story that needed to be told and I needed to write the story and share this message that was coming through me. And I think the beautiful thing about that is that if it's working and whatever your creative project for whoever's listening, if it's working, great. Keep on doing what you're working. If it's not working, try a different hat on. Great Give point. yourself a constraint. Try this. Great try point. that. If you've only lived by constraints, don't have any. See what it brings. Right, I like that. And the push and pull because everybody's different. And the reason why I like what you just said about the constraint though is because I, I find a lot of people have an idea for a book or they start writing one and it takes two, three years. And they're really being held back by fear mm. or a feeling of un unworthiness. That they don't feel worthy to write this book, to share this message. Or they're thinking about how am I gonna publish this book? You know what I always tell people? With any project, 
just create the project. Just write the book and then try to sell it. I know it goes against the software model where you sell it first, then you create the software. But but for for most projects, especially books, write the book first. Have it written. There's so much power in doing that. Then figure out how you want to market it or sell it to a publisher. Because a lot of people never find the publisher, so they never write the book. Yeah. I wrote The Energy Bus before I had a publisher. Rejected by over 30 publishers, by the way. So write it first, create it first, because we often hold ourselves back by, oh, so-and-so doesn't want it, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Don't do it for them. Do it for you. Do it because you're meant to do it. Do it because there's something that you need to say, something you need to create. And with any project that you're passionate about, just work on it and create it. I had Evan Spiegel recently on my, on my podcast, Positive University, and you know, he talked about you know, starting Snapchat and, mm. and initially how he started it. And I've worked with his company and his leadership team, actually. Uh, we worked a lot on... Uh, Positive leadership and being yeah. a positive team. A year and a half ago, it's a great story, by the way, when I went and worked with them and they were really struggling. Instagram, you know, was, was really coming Stories on. And, and their stock and, is going down. Right, and their stock was going down. All the negativity in the media, the marketplace, and the, you know, Wall Street. And so we're going to meet and I'm thinking, like, you know, what do you want me to talk about? Do I have to come up with cost-benefit analysis and come up with all this data because <laughs> these are really smart people I'm going to meet with? Yeah. I go, what do you need my help with? What, what do you want me to share most? And he goes, John, help us stay positive. It was like that That's simple, it. like help us stay positive. And we talked about the benefits of positivity. I shared a lot of research from my books and case studies and examples of great organizations who overcame, talked about the coffee bean inside out. Sure enough, that's what they did the last year and a half and it gained 8 million users this year, you know, mm. this quarter actually. So you just see that, that positivity and how, how that works. Um, so I want to piggyback off of that because there's a second lesson that's inside the energy bus. We won't cover them all, but I think there's some pivotal ones here that are important for this conversation and the stories that you're sharing. What I love about what you just shared is that, you know, life is happening around us. And even once we step into, okay, we got to drive our own bus, whether that's a collective bus as a team, and that's also an individual bus as a person, and you can't control the circumstances that are out there, but you can set a vision, you can focus and move in the right direction, no matter how chaotic it is. And that's the second lesson that comes from joy. Can you expand on that? Yeah. If you have a vision, you also have the power to make it happen. So we have to keep our vision alive. So often we have the vision of the project we want to create, the book we want to write, the business we want to start, the health goals that we want to have. And so often what happens is we lose the vision along the way. And so we give up. We have to keep our vision alive. Marathon runners do not quit in the first mile and they don't seem to quit in the last mile, even though the body should be the most tired. Because they can see it, they keep on moving towards it. Most quit in the 20th mile. So they're physically tired and mentally drained, so they lose the vision, so they stop moving forward. We have to keep our vision alive towards where we want to go through all the problems and all the challenges. And we don't have to wait for a health crisis to do that. We don't have to wait for a marriage crisis to do that. We don't have to wait for, like me, till your life is falling apart to actually come up with a vision. You could start thinking about what is it that I want to create right now? What do I want to build? What future do I want to create? And start putting that vision on paper. Start seeing that vision. And then come up with something physical, something tangible to remind you of that vision in order to keep it alive. And I'm really big on one word, like picking a word for every year, for each year, that will drive you towards your vision. So you have this big picture vision of where you're moving towards. I call that the telescope. Mm -hmm. And then the microscope is the zoom focus actions we need to take each day to realize the picture in the telescope. Telescope, microscope. Microscope is actions, but it's also one word. One word that every day 
it gives you meaning and mission and passion and purpose. So my word last year was expand. I wanted to expand my capacity, my health, my expand my team to, to reach more people. So now we have training and consulting and workshops, which we didn't even have a year ago. So that word really drove everything that we do. This year, my word is heart. I want to speak more from the heart, mm. live from the heart, lead from the heart. So every year from now, for nine years, I've picked a word each year and it molds you and shapes you. So, so having a big picture vision of what we want to create and what we want to build and mine is to encourage as many people as possible one person at a time. And there's even like jewelry companies that are out there that are like, my type intent. your word, my intent. My intent came yeah. out. They've been on the Today Show. We've been, yeah, and I wrote a book, One Word That Will Change Your Life yeah. with Dan and Jimmy. These guys have been doing it for over 20 years, so it was their idea. They get all the credit. They came to me. They shared the ideas nine years ago. I started doing it just myself. Yeah. I started sharing in my talks. Everyone started to do it. Mm. Sports teams do it. Companies do it. Go to Hendrick Auto. They have the words of all the employees on the car in the headquarters. That's you walk in, you see all the all the words. It's a reminder to live and breathe them every day. And now, you know, yeah, now a lot of organizations are, are doing it. So whether it was an exact word, you might have not had it in the beginning. Let's say in that first moment when you're pivoting your life, your wife comes to you, gives you this ultimatum, and you're like, have this wake-up call. Yep. Did you have a word? And what was the what were the habits that you were doing when you were stepping into being an author to remind you because it's one thing about you can anybody can set a vision once right but it's like how do we remind ourselves and step into it on a regular basis so at that time what was going on for you then it's really about doing first things first so it was like okay the zoom focus three actions every day i need to take to realize the big picture vision so for me it was getting up and doing the walk doing the walk yep writing Mm -hmm. and be more positive for my wife and kids. And so those were the habits that would continue to remind you that. Boom. Remind me and live it and breathe it because if you don't live it, right, there's no power in it. So it was about knowing it and living it and then trying to share it. Was I great at it right away? No. You know, we talk about that in the book. Like my wife saw the change in me. She saw how I started to get better. She started to see how I improved. But would I still have relapses? Yes. I, I often say I was a recovering jerk. You know, I was still <laughs> blamed her at times. I still got negative. I still got, you know, I still got upset about things I shouldn't have got upset about. But over time. The default neural network. Yes. Like all the, and, and you, or, the, or the, the reptile raised its head. Yeah. Right. And, and saying to your wife, oh, honey, it was just my reptile eating my paws of the dog. That works once as an excuse. <laughs> but after that, you know, then it was really became more of a, a transformation of just just being a more of a servant leader, yeah. of really trying to serve you know really serve the people that you're there for, because my mission became to serve others, and I started out more serving others than I was at home. Only when I really started to serve at home, did I really become more powerful in serving others. Hmm. It's ironic because we think we have to go out into the world to make the greatest difference, but really it starts with who you are, the people closest to you and then the ripple effect that you have out in the world beyond you. Because we see people who maybe have an impact and reach people in the world, but if they have really bad internal compasses and foundations, eventually it crumbles. Right, and the people that are closest to them that they're spending their, their life with on a regular basis, they sometimes have resentment. And then when that structure breaks, we kind of lose our support team. And that's a little bit of, of one of the lessons, kind of piggybacks into one of the lessons that Joy is talking to George about, about um, like who's on the bus, who's off the bus. We talked a little bit about energy vampires, but when it comes to 
maintaining that structure and that connection and that communication with our immediate team. Do you have any tips or suggestions on that? Four C's to build a great relationship and a great team. These are from the power of a positive team and you know, relationship great. We share these as well. It's communication, connection, commitment, and caring communication, connection, commitment, caring communication, really working on that communication one-on-one and also from a team perspective. And when you communicate, you start to build trust. And without trust, you can't have a great relationship. So you gotta build that trust. Then you have to connect. Connection is where we earn trust. It's a, it's a deeper bond. Communication begins the process, but connection is where we, where we develop a, a greater connection. Like we're communicating right now, but we're also connecting because we're talking about meaningful things. There's a heart connection. Mm. And so I really encourage teams to have conversations where they connect in a deeper level. We do the hero hardship highlight exercise when I work with teams. Hero, who's your hero? Tell us about a hardship you faced that made you who you are today. And tell us about a highlight in your life that, um, that, you're, that you're happiest about, that you're proud of. And it's great when you hear the stories, you know those people so much better. I've had teams do it and tears come down. Guys mm. start crying, like grown men, like, like just big strong guys crying as they talk about something. And from there, you start to feel a deeper connection. You know, working with the LA Dodgers like I have, Dave Roberts connects with each guy on that team one-on-one in a really deep and meaningful way. Sean McVay is a, a social genius with the Rams. He, the way he connects with his players. So the greatest coaches are, are great connectors. Greatest leaders connect. Your job as a leader, connect with the people that you lead and then foster connections with them. And you have to create one-on-one connections. It can't just be group connections. It's mm. got to be that one-on-one connection. So that's key. So communication, connection, commitment. Commitment is about we, not me. It's about serving others. You cannot be great, I'm convinced, unless you serve and sacrifice for someone else. You don't have to be great to serve, but you have to serve to be great. So as I serve others, I'm there for my team. Hey, what do you need? How can I help? How can I be there for you? The minute you start to help someone, like they, you start to become great in their eyes. Now, Martin Sheen, the actor, you know, I was at an event speaking with him not too long ago, and, and his driver told me that Martin had to stop and go take care of a homeless person on the way to the event. This guy that he takes care of in this same spot in Santa Monica area mm. and was on their way. Right away, like Martin became great in that driver's eyes, serving and sacrifice for others. Like that's real leadership. And so, so commitment, when, when people feel your commitment and you're committed to them, you're gonna get commitment back. But so often, what do we do? Oh, they're not committed. So-and-so is not committed. They're not committed to me. And so we're not committed to others. No, don't worry about someone else's commitment. You just decide to be the committed one. And as you commit, you'll get commitment back from the people that you're supposed to get commitment back from. You know, families are like a little team. What are some of the principles that you've used? You know, we were chit-chatting a little bit before the podcast started. You have a son, you have a daughter. We had already talked about, you talk, you've talked a lot about your wife. Um, how do you guys as a family unit use some of those, the four C's? Best thing we did, and I recommend this to everyone, and by the last C is, is care. You won't do any of this unless you care. So the key is a family meeting. We start a family meeting, just like you have team meetings. Like if you have, to, like I'm sure you with your company, you have team meetings, right? Absolutely. You got to have team meetings. Every Sunday was our team meeting. We'd sit around the table once a week. Once a week. Some once people call week. that dinner, but when you have kids that are playing sports, one's a tennis player, one's a lacrosse player. They got camps, they got clubs, they got matches. You don't have dinner a lot of times, so we would sit down once a week around a table and we would talk about our family vision, our mission statement, our words. 
challenges that we're having and then we would discuss solutions to each person's challenges. And we it's learned powerful. a lot about our kids and what they were going through when they were younger growing up. And they fought me on it. Dad, no, I don't want to do it. I'm watching TV. <laughs> I'm doing this. We're doing it. So I, I fought for my team culture. I fought for my family culture. Like even my wife would give me a hard time sometimes, but she says now, like, so glad we did this. It made us a stronger unit. Because if you're not intentional about it, you're not going to communicate. Now, if it's just you and your girlfriend, or you and your boyfriend, whatever it may be, if, if it's just the two of you, set aside time to have a team meeting. I do that with my girlfriend, Yasmin, and we meet every other weekend and we do, uh, we call it planning session. And we that. say, we start off with what's important to us, who's on our team, like our family, her mom, her dad, my parents, family members, who do we want to spend more time with, right? Who do we, if we look back at the end of the year, what areas do we want to grow in? What do we want to prioritize? Who's somebody in our life that needs help? And then after asking those questions, we look at our schedule for the next couple of weeks and sometimes, you know, a month in advance, especially if we have to plan. And then we make sure that our schedule matches what we care about and our goals and dreams. So good. That is so good that you do that. I love that. Think about that. What would happen if more people actually did that? What's that saying? We spend more time, right? Planning our vacation than we do our life. Yeah. Right? No, plan, picking out our clothes. Right. Like, <laughs> or shopping. Plan your life about what you want to create. Be intentional. My wife chose the word intentional one year. Like, be intentional about the life you want to create, the relationships you want to have. And at the end of the year, what did we accomplish? At the end of your life, what matters most? Like, for me, I really want to make sure that I spend my time on what matters most and I leave a legacy. I don't want to waste my time worrying about things that I can't control. I want to invest my time in doing the things I know I'm here to do. So I think it's important, it's a whole other topic, but you have to say no to a lot of things, you know, in order to say yes to the things that truly, truly matter. Mm, that's powerful. You know, I think I understood this correctly from watching one of your videos, but Joy, the the uh, who Joy is is actually based on somebody that you interacted with, like somebody that you, like a bus driver that you actually saw. Yeah, there was a guy in Denver who was a bus driver, got on a shuttle bus at the airport, and this guy was so positive, smiling, happy, and I said, hey, why are you so positive? He said, because I love life. He said, I love you. He said, I love me. He said, I love God. I love it all, and it's all connected, you know? And just that interaction, thank you very much, walked off the bus, I had this vision of a bus driver that changes a passenger life. And I didn't know I was going to write a book on it, but that began the journey. So when I started writing the book, it was a male bus driver. And his name was George, I remember. But as I started writing, I heard this voice that say, no, her name is Joy. Hmm. And she's a female bus driver. And the main character's name George. And so that is how that book came about. But it was based on a bus driver who I met. You've shared a few times about some pivotal moments in your life where you either saw a sign. Yeah. Or heard a voice. Yeah. How can we do better at paying attention? Because I think everybody sees signs. I do. And everybody sees a voice, but we don't always listen or we don't think it's real. What's your feedback on yeah, that? Yeah, I do believe in signs. I believe we get signs all the time. We get in intuitive hits all the time. We get things in our gut that we know we're supposed to do. I think you just become open to it. You recognize it and you're open to it. The you're more open you, to the possibilities. The possibilities. The more you're open. Like I always say with our one word, you're not going to know your word right away. Be open to it. Say, what's my word? Shout it out to the universe. If, you're, if, you're, if you believe in God, shout out to God. Like, God, what's my word? Just shout it out. 
And the more you, I've had people that are atheists that say the word just comes to them and they know it came from somewhere. They don't know where, but they know the word came and the word just comes and it's cool when it does. So the more you're open and receive, it comes to you. You just have to be open to receive. I think that's why, again, I don't think I'm special. I don't think I'm anything great. The way I'm able to write a book in three and a half weeks during December is because I'm just open. And I'm open to receive it. And I don't judge myself when I'm writing. And I'm not trying to be perfect. And I'm okay to fail. And I'm, it's okay if people think it's a piece of junk. The only time I had writer's block was when I wrote The Carpenter and I was afraid of failing because the energy bus had just started taking off and training camp was becoming very popular with a lot of these professional athletes and it was doing great. And I thought, people are gonna say my best work's behind me. Like, what happens if I write this piece of junk? And I couldn't write. First time I ever had writer's block. But I woke up from a dream and I had this mindset. Oh, all I have to do is love the process of writing. Yeah. And getting back to loving it. Because if you love it, you can't fear it. So love casts out fear. Because your attention was on everybody else instead of, instead of love. yourself. I was outside in, which was worry, instead of being inside out, which is love. Love outside in, worry, fear, right? Boiling pot of hot water. Inside, love, sharing the love from within. So I got back to just saying, you know what? I'm gonna just write and love writing, love the reader, and try to write a story that impacts. Wrote that book in two and a half weeks after that moment. It was just incredible what happened after that. That made its way into the story of the character who has to learn to overcome the fear with love because he's trying to build a business with his wife. He and his wife are building this tech startup. And so they have to, they have to do it with love instead of fear. So that became a premise. And I share with all these audiences now that really resonate with it because fear holds us back, but love moves us forward. And again, if you love it, you can't fear it. So always get back to the love that you have of your project, of your work, of, your, of, of competition if you're in sports, whatever it is, remember the love that you had. Get rid of all the busyness and the stress and the fear and the negative comments and just get back to the love. And if you do, over time, you're gonna create more beauty. You'll never be great at it if you don't love it. You gotta love it. Pavarotti always said, everybody wants the audience to love them, but I love the audience. Mm. And then they talked about his, his discipline. He said, people think it's discipline. It's not discipline, it's devotion. Because he's so devoted, that drives his discipline. And so, back to your question, which I forget what it was. No, you don't, there was no question. I went on a huge tangent there. Well, but, you know, here's what, I, here's what I love about that change. Yeah. And there's so many aha moments here, and I know they're for our audience yeah. too, is that, uh, no, I forgot what I was gonna <laughs> ask you off of that. <laughs> you know, you were talking about devotion, and what were we saying before that? You were just going on this rant about- Oh, I couldn't write the book because I was so full of Okay, fear. yeah, so here's yeah. what I wanted to say, okay? So yes, I've never had a brain fart moment on the podcast like that, but I had yeah. it. So even, procrastination right if we really what would happen if we really loved our procrastination oh, wow. because there's the fear procrastination often happens because there's fear people put things off right sometimes people say it's laziness but laziness it's is laziness. often fear in disguise in disguise yes and so if we actually learn to love go from procrastination which is disguising fear but actually step into love for any creative pursuit in our life whatever we want to do that creative pursuit, by the way, could be people making progress on their own health and believing that it's actually possible and stepping into that, transforming their body, getting more fit, building a company, starting a nonprofit, doing something at your kid's school, you know, improving your relationship, whatever that is for you. Often people write in, they say, well, how do I deal with procrastination? It's like what you shared is exactly that. There's the fear that's running the show. If we can step out of that and into love, loving ourselves and the process, 
something beautiful can happen. I love that. If you love the process, you'll love what the process produces if you focus on loving the process. And the reason you asked that, we were going back to it, you were talking about that. Yeah, I'm not special. I just receive and I'm open. And I think what happens is so often people don't feel worthy. They don't feel like they deserve it. So they get these ideas and these impulses, the same ones that I get. They get these signs, but they poo-poo and be like, oh, that can't happen for me. Mm. Oh, that's not possible. And so these voices come in that say it's not possible. And so they cut off the flow of positive energy that is meant for them. They cut off the flow of what is truly meant for them and their destiny. I believe there's a destiny. I believe they have a purpose for their life. And I believe because they poo-poo it and don't believe it, they then can't receive it. Your job is not to poo-poo it. When you get those hits, it's to say, okay, if it's meant to be, I'm open. I'm willing to work at it and love it and go for it. And if it's meant to happen, I'm open. And when you're open, you now open the floodgate, you open the channel, the the conduit, you become a conductor instead of a resistor. A resistor only has so many electrons because it holds on to its electrons. It has limited power as a result of that. A conductor freely gives and receives its electrons back and forth. And its power comes from the conduit or the energy source that flows through it. Mm. And so the power comes from the energy that flows through it. So because it's open, the power comes through it and it has power. So we're meant to be conductors, not resistors. And when you are fearing and feeling unworthy, and I felt that. I want people to know I felt that. I felt unworthy. When I started speaking, who am I? to be sharing this message. Who am I to be on stage talking about this? Why would they listen to me? I'm a nobody. I had all of those thoughts of fear and unworthiness. And what I would have to say is I'm worthy in this mission. And for me spiritually, I was like, God, I'm worthy in you. I know I'm here to make a difference. I'm here to impact others. I'm here to try to, you know, to serve this world in a more positive way. And then out of that came this conviction of, all right, now I can make a difference and say things that I know works, that I know makes a difference. But in the beginning, it was a lot of unworthiness and a lot of fear and a lot of doubt. And I think so many people struggle with that. And it's to know that don't focus on your fear, focus on your purpose. Mm. Because if you're fearful of speaking, for instance, it's not about what people think of you. Instead, think about what gift can you give the audience? What gift can you give the other person in helping them? So How often we serve. Yeah, we think about what people think of us and when that holds us back. But if we're thinking about, no, it's not what they think of us because that's narcissistic. It's thinking about how can I serve and help them and give something to them. Now it's about making a difference. You have an obligation to do that. You have an obligation because if you don't share what your gift is, then you're not giving and not creating you're something. Back. You're holding back the gift that you're meant to give other people. And so you're doing people a disservice if you don't give them the gift that you're meant to give. I was extremely shy growing up. And I think part of that was we were chatting earlier, but I had really bad acne, yeah. especially when I got into my teens and hit puberty. And, um, and I was very shy. I didn't really want to talk to people. I kind of wanted to be like not seen. And then I remember in uh, middle of like my high school, uh, being in high school, I uh, came across a mentor and they were saying, you know, your attention is all on you. Instead, if you come to a party or you go to a wedding with your family or you're in some sort of room, how could you serve the other person that's out there? And if you stop thinking about yourself and actually step into service, then you'll realize that there's somebody out there that actually is even more scared to be out here, doesn't know anybody. And if you just focus on, hey, I'm Drew, welcome here. I want to like just chat with you and you connect with them. You're going to forget about all your stuff and you're going to step into a deeper connection. I love that. Just had a a high school student reached out to me on, on DM on Instagram. Hey, John, I've read some of your books. I'm really struggling. I have this emptiness inside of me. I'm trying to be the best I can be, but I still feel like something's missing. What is it? I don't know what to do. 
you could tell he was really struggling. Mm. I said, make your life about others. I said, the minute you make your life about someone else and helping someone else, you actually find a greater purpose. And that purpose starts to flow through you. And you'll find more energy and passion. And then you'll actually find more of yourself in helping others. We think that the greatest self-growth strategy is focusing on ourselves. The greatest self-growth strategy is to help others grow. As we help others grow and we help others get better, we get better. As we help others improve, we improve. I bet since you've been doing this podcast, you've grown so much. Yeah. Since I've been doing this work, writing and speaking, I've grown so much. I've become so much better by helping other people along the way. It's just the way it works. Like by ourselves, we only grow so much. But by helping others grow, that's when we really find our greater call. Now, you have to love yourself. You have to invest in yourself. But I'm talking about when we really make our lives about how can we serve others and, and bring our gifts to others and, and a greater purpose, that's when we start to feel most energized. Actually, the research shows people are most energized when they're using their strengths and their gifts for a bigger purpose beyond themselves. And I know I was miserable when I was focused on me. Miserable. The minute I said, how can I serve? How can I help? That's when I started to become a much happier person. And in the beginning, that doesn't mean that somebody has to go write best-selling books no. or start a podcast. For me, it was actually a newsletter. I started a, a weekly positive tip where I had five subscribers. And who are those subscribers? My mother, my brother, my best friend from college. There you go. And like two other people that I met. And then as I met people, I would literally get their emails and I would enter them into my So that's my how email. you started writing. That's why I started. I started a weekly positive tip. You know, that's beautiful. So Here's... I didn't write books. I just started a weekly positive tip. Here's what and I then, love about that. Oh, and then a guy reached out and said, uh, hey, my daughter's struggling. I, I heard you're starting to do some of this work. Will you talk to her? It was, she was a softball player in high school. Sat down with her. She was my first client, <laughs> non-paid, and just gave her advice. That was my first. That's how everything starts, you know? The way this podcast even started is that with my business partner, Dr. Hyman, who you just met a little earlier, we had made this series called Broken Brain, educating people that, you know, our body impacts the mind, impacts yeah. the brain. Uh, just like we know that the brain can make us more stressed in our body, the opposite can happen. Oof. If our gut health is off, it can make us more depressed. Yeah, we need and, to talk about that sometime. Yeah, we got to talk about that. <laughs> I know you have a lot of uh, passion for that and experience with it. And I had been wanting to... I'm a CEO and I have a, not a huge team, but a small team about, there's about 63, 65 people yeah. in the company and four different businesses that we run. It's a lot. And privately held, you know, outside investment, we're just running it internally. And most of my day is spent as being an operator, being an operator, team meetings, calls, working with my business partner to really help people understand that food is medicine and change the world. And I started really feeling like this sense of, I have, I want to do something creative too. And I love interviewing people. I love talking to people. And I love being insightful about the questions that I ask. And I said, you know what? We just did this documentary. The audience is asking for more. Let's just start a little podcast. I'll host it. My business partner already hit his podcast. And we'll just keep the conversation going. Yeah. It wasn't a big thing. I didn't have Patrick. I didn't have all the videos, this studio, whatever. It was just me on Skype calling people up and then interviewing them. And we put it out. And it was good enough. And it got the momentum going. And just like your newsletter that you were sharing, there's some creative project that the listeners have in their mind and there's something that they want to do to give back and start being in service of others. But I hope that they take away that it can start small mm -hmm. and snowball into something beautiful. I love that you said that because I think people so often don't start because they think it has to be perfect mm. and big. So they don't just start small, but that's where all great things happen. You just start small with something you love to do, and it doesn't have to be perfect. My wife says, I give you a lot of credit, John. You were speaking when you were really bad, and you, you, just, <laughs> you just went out there and you spoke. I did, like I just spoke, and a woman who was an event planner came to see me from 
a friend's request and she came and she's like, oh, he's not gonna make it. Like he's he's horrible. He needs to get some coaching and he wanted to give me this person to, uh, you know, that she should I should coach with and so forth. And it's so funny, this person just recently reached out for advice and cracked up at that moment. I didn't like, it wasn't an ego thing, but it was like, just funny how the world works. But I was like, you know, I was really bad and, and nothing was perfect. And I had this newsletter before even newsletters were popular. 2002, I started my wow. weekly positive tip. Early. Been doing the positive weekly tip since 2002, right? Mm. 18 years sharing this message out there. And so over time it grew, but it was just this natural thing of just to start and not worry about fear of failure or what people think and just sharing it. I think so many people are worried about what people think, more so than ever on social media. You will now have more critics and more fans than ever. I always say, don't take either too seriously. Mm. Just keep doing what you do. Don't let critics in your head and don't let praise go to your head. Tis nothing good or bad, only thinking makes it so. Yes, just continue to do what's in your heart and what you love to do, and over time, you'll grow in that. I mean, the energy bus had so many rejections, then it comes out, the comments on, on Amazon were so negative that a lot of people would have wanted to give up. And now, years later, now the book's been out for 13 years, sold over two million copies. Incredible. The comments on Amazon are, are overwhelmingly positive now. It's hilarious, the difference between now and then. It's, it's wild how that's happened and how that's shifted. So let me ask you an honest question about that. Was there anything useful that you took away from some of the negative comments that came in early or was it that it did just, it wasn't for that audience? Well, the book, the book was just written. So when you're, when you write a book and you're done with it and it's out there, you really can't do anything about the book. Sure. It made me stronger to not allow the negative comments to affect me. But it did, I'm gonna be honest, it did affect me, you know, yeah. initially. As like, it would anybody. At first, right? Like, oh, maybe this isn't good. Do I receive constructive criticism? Yes. I mean, I'm always looking for feedback to get better. But was there any constructive criticism yeah, I mean, in those comments? Yeah, I mean, not with the book. I mean, yeah. no, it was usually negative. Like, Just negative. Yeah, negative. Like, oh, this book is so simple, like a, ch a child could have wrote it. You know, like stuff like that. Um, and there's, and that's, that's so funny that that's perceived as a criticism. There's, that's almost like a spiritual compliment. Yes, it's to there's beauty and simplicity. Simple so that actually the message can spread. Right, and so people often say all the time, like, wow, John, so genius how you do that. You're like, you're a genius. I go, no, no, I'm not a genius. I just actually think simply. <laughs> That's how my mind works. <laughs> I'm not that smart. Well, I know you're kind of like into Buddhism, like yeah. when you talk to like a monk and yeah. a few other things. Like in Zen, in Buddhism, in Zen Buddhism, they call it the beginner's mind. Hmm. To keep a beginner's mind, to not be too smart for your own good and to just do things as if it's the first time you're doing it. To just go on stage and speak, not overthink it and just do it and every time just get a little bit better. The greatest spiritual teachers always kept things simple, right? You, Buddhism talked about the simple mind, right? And just keeping it simple. Jesus talked about loving God, loving yourself, loving others. That was it. Get rid of all the stuff. The, he wasn't into religion. Just focus on love. It was so simple and we make it so complicated. And there's people of that faith that make it compl complicated. I think it has to be all these things. The greatest minds always keep things simple. So again, I'm not saying I'm a great mind. I just think that way. So I was writing simply. And so that might be a criticism. But over time, the comments became more and more positive over time. But I do want people to understand, like, take feedback, but don't allow the people that are really just there to criticize you and hurt you to hold you back. Take the feedback and learn from it and grow from it. Like in the beginning of my talks, I was all about positivity, but I didn't really share much of my own story initially. 
And so I really didn't connect with people as much. Mm. And so someone gave me that feedback and I said, all right, I have to be more authentic, share my story. And that became much more powerful and much more real. Mm. My wife came and see me speak one time. She's like, all right, you're telling funny stories and you're, you know, you're making people laugh, but, you, but you're rambling. Like there's no structure to your talk. Like I need some structure. So my wife said, that's how I learned best. So then I came up with more of a structure of like five principles. The four three C's. This, four C's. And so now when I give my talks, I'll share, hey, this is a framework for great leadership. And I'll give four or five principles, tell stories within each principle and their structure. And people really seem to like that. So, so taking feedback is good from people who want to help you. Don't take criticism for those who want to hurt you. It's sort of like, what's the intent of the feedback? Boom. And you can read it. You can yeah. tell. Yeah, you can tell. You can pick up the energy of it. Yes, One of the, the first reviews that I had on this podcast was, sound is awful. And you know what? The sound wasn't that great in the beginning. Mine was too, bad sound too. Right? Yeah, same thing. The sound wasn't that great in the beginning. I knew it. I didn't let that stop me from keep on doing it because what's the other option? I didn't have the resources at the time that I was going to dedicate you know, all the money that I needed to the podcast to do what it needs to do. Right. I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue to do it or whatever else me it too. is. Then it was like... Host has zero energy. I don't know how I felt about that. You have great energy. And uh, maybe in the first- Who is it? That's it. I'm coming after him. (laughs) And then it kind of concluded with, this is where it was the intent. So there was some constructive feedback in that. Then the end of the intent was it looked like it might've been said to be a little bit hurtful. There's so many other podcasts. Why waste your time? Mm. Right? I'm just paraphrasing here. Now, who knows what that person was going through that day? You know, maybe the sound so annoyed them that they gave it a shot that they felt that- it reminded them of something, whatever. I don't know what they where they were. I'm going to have compassion for them. And so I'm just going to take that with a grain of salt, whatever I need to, but not step into the intent of somebody trying to hurt you. But on the flip side, just like you said earlier, if there's now, you know, 1,600 positive four to four and a half stars that are there, don't let that get to your head either. And just focus and come back to the service component. Is it, can a, you do one podcast yeah. at a time that could serve people? It's amazing. And then if we were to listen to that person, which so many people do, we would be held back from our destiny and what we're here to do. But so many people, you know, those who succeed, take it, listen to it, and then they just move forward. So I want to conclude on this. You yeah. know, you said something earlier, which was you are a conduit. And how can we step be like, not you, but we have to be conductors, right? There was that analogy of a conductor versus a resistor, a a transistor, you said? Resistor. Resistor, resistor. I know you're a person of faith. Mm. How do you see your work? Do you see yourself as like, you know, I guess like if we're truly a conduit, are we receiving messages from God, universe, the world, and we're just the vehicle and the voice inside of it? How do you see your space in that? And where does faith fit in? Interesting. So I, I grew up Jewish, you know, I was bar mitzvahed. Uh, my dad, who raised me, was considered really my stepfather, New York cop, uh, Italian Catholic, but we never went to church or temple, so I was never into any of that. And then in my 20s, I was really into Buddhism, and <clears throat> then um, read a lot of Dalai Lama books and Deepak Chopra and meditation, was really into that. And that was really a great part of my journey, and I think a very helpful part of my journey. Really, I learned stillness and meditation and quieting the mind, and there's a lot of great disciplines to that. Ultimately, started meditating and started seeing a glowing cross. <laughs> and uh, a friend gave me some sermons by a guy named Erwin McManus, who's here in LA, at Mosaic. And I started listening to some of these sermons and they started to really speak to me. And I realized I couldn't get rid of this uh, anxiousness and fear and anxiety that I had in, like, in the pit of my stomach any other way. And I started to pray and I started to you know, just practice gratitude. As I said, I started to do these other things. And, and then from there, I really became a person of faith. You know? And I really gave my life to God. 
And what does that mean? Like, all right, God, I surrender to you. Like, I'm here for you. I'm not here for myself. I'm here to do your work. I'm here for your purpose, and I'm here to make a difference. Whatever you want me to do, and I believe in a higher power, and I believe in a God that, that has, you know, that has that is love, not hate, not anger, not not hatred, not condemning. I, I believe in a loving God. I believe there's evil in the world, and that's where the evil comes from. And I believe God allows it. Why does God allow it? Because love gives freely. Love has to be chosen back. So there's love, but we have to choose back. And I think so often in our society, as, as human beings, we don't choose it. We choose yeah. our own way. We choose the pain. We choose the suffering. We choose the negative road, not the positive road, but we have that choice. We can choose back, and God gives us that choice to choose back. And a lot of times we don't choose back. So, so for me, it's about honoring that, and, and my faith teaches me uh, to, love my, to, lo to love my neighbor. It didn't say love only the people who are just like me. So I'm here to love other people and I'm here to give and I'm here to serve. So I, so I think it informs everything that I do as a writer and speaker. Um, and, but like when I'm speaking to a company, I'm not, I'm not here to like uh, bring them to faith. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to bring anyone to faith. I'm here to share my faith, my life, my, my, my principles to make this a better world, a more positive world. And so that's, so it really, it, it's part of everything I do. And like the garden I said is going to be a spiritual fable. Um, the journey with my wife and I, we share, we share our faith journeys as we came together because that's when our marriage improved, when we both came together on our faith journey. We believe that, that the marriage is meant to be a triple-rated cord. Two cords together is good, but three cords is where the bond is really strong, and we made God the center of our marriage. And once we did that, we would say, God, we invite you into our marriage to love us, to unite us, to heal us, and to strengthen us so we can grow strong together and serve you together and raise children that can impact this world. So like we would say that. Now we've started having a common bond, a common vision, a common shared purpose together in that and a shared faith and that made us stronger. So so from that standpoint, but my other books like Power Positive Leadership, Power Positive Team, you know, Energy Bus and and others, you know, Training Camp, you know, others like, you know, there's a mixture of yes, there's some of there's subtleness in there, but corporations and businesses and organizations read them all the time and nonprofits and hospitals and use them. So I get brought into a lot of companies, and a lot of events, and I'm, I'm here to just really share positivity. And I know that's my, my calling to make a difference. Uh, but I'm here to bring love, greater love, because that's the ultimate source of positivity. And so from a faith standpoint, I think that's part of my, my purpose. Yeah. And does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely makes sense. And I think the beauty, well, you know, we, as a society, I think that we've become a little scared about talking about faith. Yeah. And the fear of like divisiveness that comes into it. You know, I grew up in a household that was from the Hindu tradition. Yeah. Right. I don't identify as, as that right now. Right. Um, you know, the, more of the work that I would describe, describe that I've kind of got it, you know, kind of like you, I went through like Buddhism. Yeah. I also come from this tradition called the Jain tradition, mm. J-A-I-N. Okay. It's very similar to Buddhism. It's from India cool. around the same time period that's there. My mom comes from that tradition. It's more of a way of life than it is like a, a religion and a belief of right. a higher power that's there. And then, you know, sometimes I feel that my faith is like, it's hard to put into its words, but there's a spiritual thread that I feel deep in my body and everything that you're sharing there, it may not come through the form of Christianity with me, right. but I feel all those things that are there and I feel yeah. it deeply. And I'm not sure, not that I'm not sure, but I don't always know the languaging that goes towards it, yeah. but I can feel that sentiment. And I think that we could talk about it and we can honor each other's traditions and backgrounds and we can share our experiences and journeys and not make other people wrong in yeah. it and still feel like true to where we are. I don't think and so. I, I love, yeah. the, I love, I love that, that you talk about it and I love that you share it in your, you know, in your, in your books, yep. in ways that make sense to people. And so. I respect everyone's tradition, everyone's journey, because we're all on a different journey, right? Everyone's totally. unique and everyone's different. And so I think there's, um, 
you know, there's been like the, the Christian right that hijacks for people, you know, what it means to be a Christian. And I actually consider myself a follower of Jesus more than anything, mm. because Jesus didn't come to establish a religion. He came to create disciples who loved and served and cared. I mean, that was his whole thing. People who would go out and, and, and help the least. Like he was always about helping the homeless and helping the least. And hospitals were started actually because of him and nonprofits because the first person to come along to, to say, we need to serve, we need to love, we need to, to take care of those people who are hurting. And so when you really study him and his, his gospels, which I only did not too long ago, it's, it's like there's so much power in that for me. So for me, that, that's just really where I identify with. That seemed to have the biggest impact on my life. And he also talked about evil and how to overcome. And I think we have to admit there's evil in this world, you know? And the one thing I lacked with Buddhism was like, all right, Buddhism didn't really understand evil or didn't think evil existed. I'm like, no, I see evil everywhere. I don't know. I see it. So I think that there's a, Jesus gives us a blueprint on how to deal with the evil. But wherever someone is in their journey and their faith tradition and their love, I mean, we're just here to love people and we're here to honor them and, and be open to them of where they are, knowing that I truly believe we all can't do, we can't do it alone. And by doing it together in a community, and by having a spiritual tradition and every addiction program has a higher power to it because the human being is only so strong, they need a greater power. And when you tap into that greater power, it really does help you with your life. And I think hopefully whatever people find, they can find that for their life so they can live a more beautiful, meaningful, purposeful life. Mm. Well said, my brother. You know, that really just takes us to the point where it's through a community you know, the things that I've taken away from reading the energy bus yeah. and looking at some of your videos and hearing you on other podcasts, it's like the combination of community, investing in ourselves, knowing our purpose, knowing our why. Yeah. You talk about that. Creating our, creating our team, love, appreciating other people that are there, and then having something bigger than ourselves. whether people want to call that service, service and purpose. a higher power, purpose, whatever it is, that's really where the real joy is. And mm. that's why we're here. Boom. in the first place. So I want to acknowledge you for writing books that help people Thank you. go down that journey. Um, where can our listeners find out more about you? And uh, you also have a really cool coaching program that you just put out there. And I'd love to talk about the podcast. If you have a couple episodes after this conversation, if you could think of a couple episodes that would be just great for our audience to jump into and subscribe to your podcast. Totally. JohnGordon.com is my website, J-O-N-Gordon.com. Twitter, Instagram is J-O-N-Gordon11. So JohnGordon11. Do you like when people message you directly? Do you like when like people it. DM yeah, you? I do. I actually, yeah. I, I interact with people. Yeah, so that's I, great. I, it's part of my mission, right? One person at a time. So I give my information a lot of times at events and people respond and, and, and ask questions if they're struggling. So I always say, if you ever are struggling, you need some encouragement, I'm here to encourage you. That's my mission. So I do that. And then um, we just started a coaching program. And every month I teach a lesson and we do Q&A with the coaching community. And so we have about 400 people right now, and it's johngordoncoaching.com, J-O-N-Gordoncoaching.com. And it's a monthly program and Q&A, Facebook community, you're part of a group and just something we just started to, again, serve those who, who want more interaction. It's not very expensive. I mean, you know, I'm 40000 a talk. And so this is, at, you know, for keynotes and stuff. So this is like, like, it's like $400 for a year. That's it for someone to be part Super of the program. Yeah. And we wanted to make it that way. So again, it's part of the mission approach to reach people. And, um, yeah, so I just, you know, I, I'm, I do the podcast positive university. I speak, I write, and I, I just tweet a lot 
and I post on Instagram, you know, every day just to try to encourage people and share positivity. That's what I'm here to do. Any couple episodes you can think that our audience could jump into? Oh, I mean, for your for your podcast. Yeah, I mean, one recently was Matthew West, who's a you know five time uh, Grammy nominated artist and musician, and just talks about the rejection that he faced early on mm. in his career, which is which is so good. Evan Spiegel's podcast again, Snapchat starting it talking about just the creating of it and and just investing in that not knowing what was going to be but just doing it and loving it and then he and his immediate circle started using it together and they were like oh wow we like this and that's how it started like we like this let's share it and they started putting it out there and it started to spread so i think his interview was was really strong a guy named inky johnson who's a speaker out there who you know lost the use of his arm after mm. you know getting hit in a game and now he's been a, a speaker the rock comments on him all the time and just a, a, an amazing guy and just interview with him is really strong and then i interview like coaches like dabo sweeney when they won the national championship at clemson and and nick nurse who won the the championship with the toronto raptors he's the head coach interview nick about some of the challenges like he put an elephant on his desk in his office and Anytime a guy came in, they knew they were going to deal with the elephant in the room. They were going to talk about their issues, bring out the issues, talk about them, have the difficult conversations to be a stronger team. So I interview really <clears throat> cool people like that. And um, I'm starting to interview some, uh, you know, some, some artists and celebrities as, and, as well. And, and for our audience, you're oh, and, actually and super Bush. into health. Yeah, and Zach you Bush. You your own issues with gut health. Uh, Zach Bush. Glyphosate. And so you interviewed Zach Bush. For those that don't know him, if you can yeah, explain a little Zach bit. Bush, MD. Just foremost authority on glyphosate and what it does to your body and the problem with Roundup and, and Bayer and Monsanto and the whole industry and what's going on and his passion for creating farmland that is, that is really organic farmland. We have to turn 5 million acres if we do that from conventional to organic farmland, we can actually tip the scales of where it makes it more economical for the farmer. Mm -hmm. And also just what happens to the body and what it does and how to deal with glyphosate. So that changed my life. I mean, his podcast, when I heard him, initially on Rich Roll's podcast, and then started doing the research and then interviewed him, made changes to, to my life and my gut health, because my gut health has been bad for 12 years. 12 years I've dealt with gut health. 12 years I was on the road and got so bad about a year and a half ago, I felt like I was dying. Wow. I really think I was dying from the inside out. And I saw a gastro MD, started doing some things with that, a holistic gastro MD, holistic. And then listen to Zach Bush and making those changes, taking uh, you know different supplements and products, so forth, changed everything. So that's, that's a really good podcast. People, it's probably probably his most, uh, my, it's probably my most popular podcast. You know, is that one on health? You know, where people are being enlightened and educated on on that very issue. How many people are dealing with gut health right now? And it's everybody. It's only going to get worse. Well, not everyone, because I see a lot of people eating all these different places, and they're still eating regular <laughs> food, and they're not having any issues. But but when you understand, well, we think they're not having any issues. They're constipated. At they home. may be, and we know what it's doing to the brain too. Yeah, like, I mean, we have so many kids and teenagers right now that are dealing with depression and sadness, mm -hmm. and a lot of it has to do with their guts. They're not getting the right amount and the amount of dopamine and serotonin right to the brain because their gut is. They have issues with their microbiome. Totally. So we have to learn about the microbiome. And by the way, that plays all into the work that you talk about because if we can't, you know, we have all these phrases like trust your gut, your gut intuition. This is our center of gravity. You know, this is where so much our, our gut is our second brain, yep. as many as neurons as that are in the brain. Amazing, right? And in Eastern traditions, they often talk about like, you know, things that you can learn from your brain, but things that have to come from the gut have yep. to be felt that are there. If that's all gummed up, then we can't access any of that. 
And so that is really, I'm so glad that you're talking about that. Um, and I'll make sure that we link to all those episodes awesome. of the podcast so people can find them. Appreciate show notes. that. Thank you, John. Thank you for coming on the Broken Brain thank Podcast, you. sharing your books with us. Energy Bus. It's been out there, two million copies. You can get it. It makes a great gift for people, kids, corporations, other individuals out there, and all the other books that are there too. We'll link to your website so people can find them. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You're awesome. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not, I repeat, it's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their find a provider database. It's important that you have somebody in your corner that's qualified, that's trained, that's a licensed healthcare practitioner helping you make changes especially when it comes to your health.